0: To 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're we've been working through the continue series. There's no handout tonight because I'm doing a kind of a sidetrack and looking at as we looked at the Holy Spirit, looking at some different things about the Holy Spirit, spiritual gifts to believers. And so we actually started this lesson back before Christmas, and we haven't got a chance to get to finish it. And so tonight, I don't know if we'll finish it. We'll see how far we get. I don't want to keep you for hours. But uh, we'll try to finish it. And then we may have one more lesson in addition to these as far as the gifts to the church or how the Spirit works in the church. And so you might remember, and I'll just give you kind of a quick recap from a couple of weeks ago. As we looked at spiritual gifts, we looked first of all at the, the description of these gifts and how they... Um, kind of were categorized. And so we talked about them being spiritual gifts. There's something that the Holy Spirit gives us. If you don't have the Spirit of God, then you won't have one of these gifts. But the moment you were saved, you received the Holy Spirit of God, and God gave you a birthday gift. They were also supernatural gifts. They came from God. And so they were something that you would not be able to do within yourself. Now, there's certain things that you can cultivate in your life and can grow... But you'll never maximize their potential until God gets a hold of them and uses them. And so they were supernatural gifts. Uh, the word gift there is the word charismata, or where we get the word charismatic from. It just means comes from the Spirit. And so we often think of uh, the charismatic movement. And they put an emphasis on the gifts rather than the giver of the gifts. They, uh, they emphasize the sign gifts, and we'll talk about that in just a minute rather than just the support gifts whats what we're supposed to use. The gifts are to complement the local church. They are no longer needed for signs because we have the complete Word of God. And so then there were service gifts. The, the word in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 12 says, "...to profit with all." It means they're there to help everybody. And so if you have that spiritual gift it's to be used in God's local church, to be a blessing and a help to everybody and to help them grow spiritually... These gifts are sovereign gifts. In verse 11, it says that God divides severally as He will. And so it's up to God what gift you get. And so, uh, you know, it, it's kind of like that. We understand how gifts are. We give gifts at Christmas time. And you decide uh, if your little boy gets the blue truck or a black truck. And, and so you decide, kind of fit their personality and, and what what they might appreciate. And so you buy gifts according to those things. And so God gives us gifts also according to the natural abilities He's given us, our talents, but also in an area where He wants us to serve. And then these gifts are also salvation gifts. Verse 12 of chapter 12. Turn, I'm sorry, I got my page turned. Verse 12, "...for as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body." whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. And so upon our salvation, we receive these gifts. They are gifts because we, are, we have the Spirit of God. So they are salvation gifts, and then they are also support gifts. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? And it talks about the different members of the body there. And so we all support one another. You wouldn't be much good if you all had ten hands, but no nose. And so we, every part of our body is important. You say, well, I, I don't know about that pinky toe. Well, you stub it at three in the morning on your way to the bathroom, and you'll find out how important that toe is. You'll hop around, you can't walk right, and it uh, gives you balance. They say if you cut off your big toe, you have to learn how to walk all over again just like a baby. And so every little member is important, and the same in God's local church. So tonight... We've kind of categorized all those gifts a couple of weeks ago, but tonight we're gonna to look at the gifts individually. So we're gonna look at the diversity of spiritual gifts, all right? So the diversity of spiritual gifts. I'm not gonna read the whole passage again, but let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll read verse 8, and then later on we're gonna flip over to Romans chapter 12. And we're gonna look at some other gifts that are there as well. So the Bible says in verse 8, it lists the gift individually. So when we talked about the gifts before, we kind of talked about their purpose. And let me, if I could summarize it this way: we talked about spiritual gifts, sovereign gifts, uh, salvation gifts, and support gifts. There's really, if if we could be more broad, there's two types of gifts. There's sign gifts that are not in use anymore. We'll talk about that a little bit more tonight. And then there's also support gifts. Sign gifts and support gifts. Sign gifts were those gifts that were used by the apostles—miracles and speaking in tongues and things like that—that that authenticated the message before the word of God was complete. And then there's the support gifts that we use today: edification and exhortation and even prophecy. Not in the sense that we are foretelling the future, but we are forthtelling the gospel. And so we're going to look at them individually tonight. And uh, there's actually. I don't know what number this is, but it goes all the way to the letter O. So about 14, 15 points. We'll just go through them one at a time, give you a little description of them, and try to understand them. So verse 8, the Bible says, For to one is given, by the Spirit, the word of wisdom. To another, the word of knowledge. So you can see it just starts listing them. By the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, discerning of spirits, to another, diverse kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he wills. So let's have a word of prayer. Father, help us understand, Lord, that we can get bogged down in this kind of study but it's important that we understand the Bible, and I pray you'd help us understand a little bit better our spiritual gifts. So as the Lord, speak to our hearts with it. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So look back at verse 8, and it just starts right in with a list. Verse 8, 9, and 10 gives us a list of the spiritual gifts that Paul addresses to the church at Corinth. Now, here's something that's very important, and we have to understand this, is context. All right, context. Who was Paul writing to? Obviously, to the church at Corinth. It was New Testament believers that knew the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they'd gathered together as a church, and we call it the church of Corinth. Here's the thing. They did not yet have all the Word of God. We don't know if they had all the Gospels. It's likely they had Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but they probably didn't have the book of John yet. They may not have had the completed book of Acts because Paul was still traveling So obviously they wouldn't have had that. Acts is an unfolding of all the epistles that Paul wrote happened during the book of Acts at different times. And so the book of Acts was not complete. We wouldn't have had the book of Revelation. We wouldn't have had some of his later epistles. And so understand this is still the apostolic period. This is still the period where signs and wonders are being done. So as Paul says these things, that doesn't mean they're necessarily for today. We have to remember that. We, we, We sometimes get bogged down because... The charismatic group will say, well, you know, it's in the Bible, so we should do it today. Well, Elijah got carried off with a chariot of fire. Does that mean we do it today? David fought a literal giant that was nine foot six inches tall. We don't see that today. So we can't just necessarily say, because something's in the Bible means that it's forever. The only thing that's forever is God. He's the only thing that's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And and so we have to understand that within this context... Paul was speaking to the church of Corinth about some specific things that perhaps were only for their time. And then there's some other things that we see supported in Scripture that are for every believer. All right, so let's have a look at that. First of all, the word of wisdom. The word of wisdom in verse 8. This gift is not necessarily speaking about common sense. How many of you know that common sense isn't all that common anymore? And so it's not necessarily speaking of that. A person can be unsaved and have common sense. I think you know that. I, I think there's. We probably all know somebody that's that's wise in the world's eyes. They have a lot of knowledge. I mentioned a couple weeks ago about a a fellow that's a uh, sociologist and he's a psychiatrist or psychologist. Uh, and he he's uh, his name's Jordan Peterson. He's he's one of the smartest guys in the world. His IQ is off the charts. He's a social conservative, so he looks at things through the same eyes that I do a lot of times. And the things that he comments on in society in the news especially in politics he is dead on but he's not saved so you can have a certain sort of wisdom in the world without being saved so it's not about having common sense wisdom is having uncommon sense it's being able to take what god has given us and apply it scripturally that's what wisdom is and so those who have the gift of wisdom will make wonderful counselors now think about that If you want to have a counselor in your life, you want somebody that has the spirit of wisdom. Not just their own wisdom, but they're wise in the word of God and the spirit of God has helped them to be able to communicate that truth to others. The Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not and it shall be given him. So it's one of those gifts that we can support with scriptures that's available to us today. God wants us to have wisdom. We are not to walk as the world but we are to walk as the wise. And so, the gift of wisdom. Look at verse 8 again. We see the next one. It talks about the word of knowledge. The word of knowledge. Now, the gift of knowledge doesn't mean that you know everything. That's not what it means. The charismatic gift of knowledge is the ability to know things that you would not know apart from the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the guidance and the giftedness of the Holy Ghost. So now, here's the thing. Often with these gifts, the devil has a counterfeit. And in the, in the devil's world, we have clairvoyants, or those that are fortune tellers and things like that. That would be the, the uh, counterfeit of the word of knowledge. And so the devil's counterfeit. So you might call it something else. We might say, well, they have a keen Bible perception. They can listen to a situation. Maybe God gave you that kind of thing when you had teenagers and you knew they were lying to you. And you could just say, I know you're lying. I, can, I just pick it up. I know it. The Lord is speaking to my heart. He tells me. And so we have some examples in the Bible of the word of knowledge. Uh, Acts chapter 5. How many of you remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira? The Bible says that they sold a piece of land and they went and they lied to the church and they said, we sold it for this much. Here's the entire amount of money but they held back a portion. The problem was not holding back the portion. They could have have sold it for a million dollars and given half of that to the church, and it would have been fine. But they lied about it. They said they were giving the whole amount. But Peter knew right away, that he says, why have you lied to the Holy Ghost? And Ananias dropped dead. Later on, Sapphira would come and He'd say to her, did you sell for this? Did you sell your property for this much? She said, yes. He says, the same men that carried your husband are going to carry you out. And she dropped dead. But God had given Peter a, a special insight into their lives and a knowledge to know that they were lying to the Holy Ghost. That's a gift that we don't have today. I, I, boy, I wish I could. How many of you wish you could when you had teenagers? You just know when they're lying every single time. I, I mean, a lot of times we figure it out. And something doesn't have the ring of truth to it. But to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that somebody's lying or there's something else going on in their lives. The Lord Jesus Christ could look at a person and he could say to the woman at the well, you've had five husbands and the man you're living with now is not your husband. That's that's knowledge. That's a supernatural gift that the apostles had, but we do not have in that sense today. Here's the thing. One day when we get to heaven, the Bible says we will know and shall be known. One day that veil will be lifted, but for now we see through a glass darkly. So here's the third one. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. To another, faith. Faith. Now you say that, and you say, well, I can't be saved unless I have that gift. I don't believe it's talking about simple saving faith. Have you ever met somebody who just walks in faith all the time? And that's what this, this gift is referring to. They're just able to trust God no matter what, the gift of faith. All Christians have faith in a general sense, but this is a very specific sense. First Corinthians chapter thirteen. Look there, what it says in verse two. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, and I have not charity, I am nothing. Obviously, the Apostle Paul, when he says faith that can move mountains, is referring back to what the Lord Jesus Christ was saying about having the faith of a mustard seed. We can say to that mountain, be thou removed, and it will be removed. And so, it's talking about a mountain-moving faith. And I think there's times in our lives where we may have that kind of faith, and then it wanes, and it's up, and it's down. We can pray for certain things and believe that God will do them, and then there's other things we pray for and don't believe God will ever do them. And so what kind of faith do you have? That's a gift that the Holy Spirit can give each of us today. The Bible says, the just shall live by faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. Hebrews chapter 11, but without faith it is impossible to please Him. And so we have confirmation of Scripture that this is a gift that carries on today. The gift of faith. Then we see, fourthly in verse 9, the gift of healing to some to another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. Now, the the Greek word used for healing there is actually plural. It means healings. The ability to heal many people. Uh, there are those that have all kinds of gifts of healing. Physical healings, mental healings, and spiritual healings. And if we read the Word of God, we find there are some to whom God gave the ability to heal. I think one of the most Famous I can remember after Christ left this earth is Acts chapter 4. As Peter said to the impotent man at the gate called beautiful, silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, give I unto thee in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Again, it was an apostolic gift that God used to authenticate the word. And so we have sign gifts and we have support gifts or structural gifts that help us day by day. It was a sign gift. And so let me, let me say a few things here, because we're going to get into a few more sign gifts now, but I want you to see how we characterize those turn, things. Turn to Acts chapter 14. We're going to look at three or four passages of scripture to help us understand why we don't practice those things today. Acts chapter 14. <clears throat> Verse 1, And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews, and so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil afflicted against the brethren. Long time therefore abode they, speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of His grace, and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided and part held with the Jews and part held with the apostles. So let's kind of figure out what's going on here. In the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, we saw lots of signs, didn't we? The Lord Jesus Christ healed so many people. And John, the last verse of John I just read last Sunday it says that I suppose if everything else had written about what Jesus did, the books of all the earth couldn't contain it all. I mean, it's just incredible to think how much the Lord Jesus Christ did while he was on this earth. But the truth is, and we're going to look at this at the next one, it talks about miracles, that there were pockets of miracles throughout history. We think about creation. The book of Genesis, we see miracles we see in the life of Moses, we see the miracles of the plagues and parting of the Red Sea and, and God providing man in the wilderness and all the things he did for the Jewish people. Then we see the ministry of Elijah and Elisha. and There was great miracles that surrounded them. But think about that. There's gaps in between where we don't see those things happening. And then we come into the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ and we see miracles again. Then we see the early apostles, Peter and, and Paul specifically, uh, that, that performed miracles. But outside of that, we don't see it in the Bible. We see it in those specific... Now, why, why does it seem like there's so many more? Because those are the stories we grab onto. We love the miracles of the Bible. And by the way, God can still do miracles. I'm just saying tonight that I don't believe that men have the ability to do miracles. And so we're going to look at that. But Acts chapter 14, here's what happened. In Acts chapter 14, they just came preaching the Word. That's all they were doing. They didn't come in doing miracles. The Bible says they spake to this multitude in verse 1. And verse 2, there was unbelieving Jews. And so they stayed there and they continued to speak in verse 3. And they gave testimony under the word of His grace. And God granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Why? There's a key. Because there was unbelieving Jews. Here's, Here's why. In the early church or in in the culture of the early church, so in Jerusalem and the areas surrounding there, it was such a racist area. You remember the Jews wouldn't even go through Samaria, and they were half Jew. They were people that were left behind during the Babylonian captivity, and so think about that. The Babylonians came down and they scooped up all the Jews they could get, and some people hid and so when when uh, the Babylonians left and all the Jews went into captivity, these people that were left behind, in order to survive, they had to take wives and husbands of the tribes that were left behind that were not Jews. And as a result, the Jewish people, when they came back, the Samaritans were considered unclean because they would take wives and husbands of other tribes that were not Jewish. And so they hated them for that. They were racist. You remember how they questioned the Lord Jesus Christ? The Bible says the disciples wondered in their hearts why he would even talk to this woman, the woman at the well. And it was just a very divided society. We even see it later on in the life of Peter. Peter says he would sit down with the Gentiles, but then when an entourage of Jews came by, he got up from the dinner table. He didn't want to be seen with them now. There was this race, and the Bible says that, and you remember this passage, Paul said, I withstood him to the face, for he was to be blamed. And so there was, there was some real tension and issues in this early society. The Jews would not believe that a Gentile could receive Jesus Christ. They didn't believe it. And so when the Apostle Paul came back and, and said to them, well, I, I got a report for you. Some, and the people said, no, the Gentiles can't get saved. He said, oh, but let me tell you, I heard them speak in tongues. The Holy Spirit of God came down, and they spoke in tongues, and they went, oh. I guess God is not a respecter of persons. And they believed that the Gentiles could receive the Holy Ghost, but only because of signs. The signs were a testimony against the Jews' unbelief. And so here we have in Acts chapter 14, unbelieving Jews. And so God granted signs and wonders because he desires for Israel to be saved. Look at Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. I, I'm gonna some night I'm going to have to take the time to really take apart, especially the speaking in tongues, because we see so much of that still today. But for tonight, we're just going to be brief. Verse 14 of chapter 15, "...and I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another." So Paul is speaking to the church of Rome, and you hear some of those gifts coming out, right? admonishing one another, they're filled with knowledge. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in in some sort as putting in your mind because of the grace that is given to me of God that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. And so there's some key things in Paul's language here that he is writing even though he's writing to the church at Rome, understand these are Jewish converts. And he's saying to them, God has called me to be the missionary or the the apostle to the Gentiles. And he says, they have been sanctified by the Holy Ghost. Verse 17, I have therefore whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me, "...to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed, through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Lyricum, have I fully preached the gospel of Christ." So understand what Paul is saying here. He's writing to the church at Rome, and he's saying, I'm the apostle to the Gentiles, and God is allowing signs and wonders. Why is that important? Because the Jews would not believe that God would work outside of Israel. He'd only work with the Jewish people. Even Peter, remember, had that problem. He felt like that God was, uh, ca- he called it casting it before the dogs. That's, that's how strongly they felt about this. But Paul had a love for the Gentiles, thank God, because that's what we are, most of us anyway. And so he says, and God has saw fit to show with signs and wonders. And when the signs and wonders came out of his mouth, no Jew could argue. If God was going to work, who are we to argue? Look at one more. 1 Corinthians, 2, Corinthians chapter 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. In verse 11, Paul says, I am become a fool in glorying. Ye have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended of you, for in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing... Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. And now he comes right out and says it. These are apostolic gifts. The signs of an apostle. I don't believe we have apostles today. I believe there was 12, and I believe that one was replaced uh, on the day of Pentecost. But we don't have apostles today. They were foundational in the church. And there are some today that will claim to be apostles, and they'll claim to do signs and wonders, but be very careful. I saw somebody gave me a video today. Somebody sent me a video, just I guess it was a couple days ago now, of a service in Africa where a man was in a coffin, and they raised him from the dead. The problem was, is before he raised him from the dead, you could clearly see him breathing, and his mouth was moving. And so he wasn't dead at all. It was just a sham. But, of course, that raises money very quickly. And so let's be careful of the shucksters out there that try to take advantage of people by using signs and wonders. And so the, the the gift of healing, and we're going to put it in that sign gift category. So you say, does God heal today? Sure He does. How does He do it? Well, number one, one of the ways is God uses physicians, doctors. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 9, But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. Now he was using an allegory there. He was was using a reference to his ministry. But still, at the same time, he endorsed the use of doctors for sick people. Luke was a doctor. Jesus was the great physician. And so we understand that God has given us doctors. And so don't be afraid if God has given you a good doctor to go to him. But secondly, God answers prayer. And that's how we, how we minister to sick people today as we, we pray for them. James chapter 5, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. A few years ago, there was a debate on Baptist preacher's email list and somebody asked the question whether they should anoint with oil and somebody else got really angry about it. They said, I live in a Catholic area and everything is mysticism and this oil anointing with oil is just silly and foolish and yet the Bible says to do it. If somebody is sick, call for the elders and they come. Here's the thing, baptism is just a symbol. Lord's table is just a symbol. The anointing with oil is just a symbol of the Holy Spirit on the life. So the gift of miracles, how our gift of healing, God does it through doctors and prayer. And then we see uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter twelve and verse ten the gift of miracles. Miracles. Now we're going to put this in the same category. So I'm not going to go through those verses again for sign gifts, uh, and there are many more. By the way, we believe in miracles because we believe there's a God in a Bible, the Bible, who does miracles. We believe in that. But when the gift of miracles is talking about being given to somebody, there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10, that it is placed upon a man to have that ability. Here's the problem The Lord Jesus Christ, many times when he did miracles, what did he say afterwards? Go and tell no man. When Benny Hinn does a miracle, what happens? Everybody in the world's got to see that thing. And he takes off his coat and he waves it and knocks 30 people down at once. And I, it's just it's crazy stuff that goes on. But it's for show and it's for money. As a matter of fact, I saw another video. The same fellow that sent me the one about raising from the dead sent me one about Benny Hinn. And uh, he was collecting offering. And he was in a country where they didn't maybe have offering baskets or it wasn't like a regular auditorium. And it was a strange kind of a setup. And so he just called his men to come. He says, go around, grab all those envelopes, get those envelopes. And a, and a lady came up to the front and she wanted prayer and she was walking the aisle and he says, Usher, sit that woman down. She's interrupting the anointing. Anointing? You were collecting offering envelopes. He wasn't there to minister to her. He was already getting his offering so he didn't need to do anything anymore. Everything's about show and, and uh, abusing the, the things that, that, that God would have us use to minister to people. And so we believe in miracles because we believe in God, not in people. The Lord Jesus sometimes had to step over the miracle mongers in order to do His ministry. People thronged Him, looking for Him to do signs and wonders, and He didn't always do them. So as we study the Bible, I mentioned earlier those clusters of miracles. There was miracles of creation, Elijah and Elisha, Jesus, the ministry of the apostles, and the Bible says there will be miracles in the last days. And so you read the book of Revelation, We see the two witnesses that will come, and uh, they will do great miracles upon the earth. A person who is Spirit-filled will not necessarily do miracles. Uh, Just because you have the Spirit of God, doesn't... You know, the Bible says John the Baptist was filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb. But in John chapter 10, verses 41 and 42, it says John did no miracles. I would think if anybody was going to do miracles, it would be John if he was filled with the Spirit so much, but he never did one. That was the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the gift of miracles falls into that category of sign gifts, and then we have the gift of prophecy. Gift of prophecy. Some would say, "Well, we don't have prophecy anymore." We don't have prophecy in the sense of foretelling or foretelling, but we have foretelling. So the Bible says, "All prophecy." Or uh, what's the verse I'm thinking? Second Peter one twenty-one, preacher. What is it? I'm trying to think of the verse. Maybe I should just look it up. For the prophecy came not, that's it. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That verse is in reference to the entire canon of Scripture. This is all prophecy. You say, well, it doesn't always tell the future. No, but that's not what prophecy is. That's only a part of prophecy. Revelation is foretelling but the rest of the, a lot of the scripture is forth telling, Just giving out the gospel, telling people about Christ. Think about this, Elijah, I've said this many times, Elijah heard from God and he told the people. John the Baptist heard from God and he told the people. Today we hear from God and we tell the people. There's no difference except we get it from the word rather than from special revelation. That's the gift of prophecy. So 1 Corinthians 12.10, So, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3, I'm just going to quote it to you. But he that prophesieth, speaking unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. So there's three categories there that prophecy is supposed to do. It's supposed to edify, which is to build up. It's supposed to exhort, which means to fire up or encourage. And then it's also supposed to comfort. So those three things, think about that. Sometimes when we preach, we're trying to edify, we're trying to build up. That's what tonight would be doctrinal. We're just teaching doctrinal stuff. So that's edification. It builds up your life spiritually. Exhortation would be the kind of message where we say, keep going for the Lord and preach something along that lines. And comfort would be like what I preached Sunday morning about the prodigal and how the Father was there to show compassion and comfort him in the time of herd. And so that's what preaching or prophesying is supposed to do. In 1 Corinthians 14, the Apostle Paul spends almost the entire chapter showing the superiority of prophecy over tongues. He concludes by saying, I'd rather prophesy one word in in clear language than to speak an entire volume in tongues. Because it's important that people understand. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Verse 8. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. That's an odd thing to say, isn't it? We think about the book of Revelation. We think, well, no, God's word's infallible. That's because He's not speaking about the prophecies of the Word of God. He's speaking about men who prophesy. If I were to get up today and say, "Well, I believe," I this happened years ago. I went to um, I went to my church in Springfield, Missouri, and there was a preacher there by the name of Art Wilson. You remember that name, preacher Art Wilson? was preaching some revival meetings, and it said on the sign, and it was a provocative title, and I thought, he's just trying to get people in, and I was in Bible college, I didn't know much about it, so I thought, oh, that sounds interesting anyway. But I said, why I won't vote in the next presidential election? And I thought, I know it's a prophecy conference, so I don't think it's a protest. I don't think he's mad about the election or anything like that. And By the way, that's the year they elected Bill Clinton for the first time, 92 and so I thought, well, I'm going to go here. And he believed with all his heart the Lord was coming in October of 91. He wouldn't be around for the next presidential election, which was November of 91. And, and just, you know, it's just all this stuff. And he, he set dates. And I, I was talking to Phil Clayton, and I said, do you know Art Wilson? He goes, oh, yeah. I said, he's saying the Lord's got And he says, oh, he's been setting dates for years. Prophecies shall fail when they come from men but the word of god endureth forever. So let's just stick with that. And then we see next, I'm not going to get through all these. The discerning of spirits. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 10. We're going to finish 1 Corinthians and we'll leave Romans for next time. Verse 10 to another the working of miracles to another prophecy to another discerning of spirits. Now, this morning I preached from 1 John chapter 4 about god loved us because, or we loved him because he first loved us, 1 John 4.19. But the first several verses of that chapter say, try the spirits, whether they be of God or not. And it gives us a checklist there of the things we are to look for to make sure that something is of God. And that's what the discerning of the spirits is. We lived in a world that is filled with wickedness and demonic spirits. They exist and they're lying spirits. And Satan has transformed himself as an angel of light. It says in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14, that Satan can appear as an angel of light. I'll tell you this, I I mentioned it at the funeral this morning, when somebody is ill for a long time, and they are alone in a hospital room, Satan likes to kick you while you're down. And I'm telling you, there there are some things that, uh, even I don't think I'm going to embarrass anybody by saying this, Spring was telling us, she says, you know, she says, I know I'm saved. She says, I, I woke up this morning and I went over in my head when I got saved. And she says, I love the Lord with all my heart. And she went over all these things. She said, but let me tell you what kind of night I had. She says, the devil just started to tell me all night I wasn't saved. If I die today, I'm not going to heaven. And she says, you're just constantly after me. I, saw, I I've been... I, I remember a man that had been saved for 65 years and been a deacon in our church for 50 years here. And when I went to see him in the hospital a week before he died, he said, pull up a chair. And I pulled up a chair and he says, tell me how to be saved. He says, I I need to make sure because there's all kinds of voices in my head every night. It's the devil just trying to discourage. I had another man who said to me in the nursing home, pastor, will you tell that guy over there to get out of here? And I turned around and said, there's nobody there. I said, we need to pray. And we prayed, and but just there to discourage and distract and and to cause, cause division. And, and so we need to have the discernment to know what is real and what is not. It's a very, very real thing. My daughter was faced with it in Bible college, a little boy that she babysat. The parents, one of the parents, had been into uh Satanism. They were spirit. They called themselves a spiritualist. And the little boy said, My, my daughter, she'd come around the corner and she, she, it spooked her, whatever she saw. And the boy said, four year old little boy said, that's just, my, that's just my shadow friend. He won't hurt you. Until my daughter put out a Bible and that little boy started screaming. He said, Put that away. My, my shadow friend doesn't like that. So this is real. We need to have the discernment to know what is real and what is not. There's a lot of, man, I'll tell you what, just watch the news. There's so much foolishness out there. I just learned today that a friend of mine that I went to Bible college with has, had died. And uh, he married a girl that went to Bible college with us as well. And after he died, he just died a short time ago, uh, about two years now. I didn't know what had happened to him. I'd heard he was sick and I kind of checked on him found out he had died. And his wife has remarried, and she's an advocate for gay rights and all these things. She was a pastor's wife for 25 years. And just, it's just incredible how we can be so easily deceived. So we need to have the spirit of discernment. That's important. Let's, let's look at First John 4 quickly tonight and, and look at those things. Kind of a checklist here. Write it down in your notes because it's an important one. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come. And even now already is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. Boy, If there was ever a verse that described our day, it's verse 5. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. Did you ever think that people would believe everything they hear? All this garbage we see today. The Bible says it would happen. It just, you know, go ahead and you're, you're a cat. That's okay. We'll put a litter box in the craft room for you. What kind of ridiculous stuff is this? But yet people believe it. They'll believe a lie. There's a great deception today. Verse 6, We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the Spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So try the spirits. Be discerning. And then we see letter H, the gift of tongues in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 10. <clears throat> the word for tongue here means a language. It's not some gibberish. Sometimes you'll hear or see those services on the TV, and sometimes it's good. There's some good choir singing. Maybe the preaching is good, but then inevitably somebody will start speaking in tongues. And they'll make some weird noises and there's no rhythm to it. There's no syntax to it. Even a, even a foreign language. How many of you can hear somebody speaking French and go, oh, I, think, I think that's French or sometimes Spanish or we hear German around here a lot in the grocery stores and things with the Mennonites around. And you can tell it's a language. The words change. The inflections go up and down. There's syntax to it. But these are speaking tongues. They just stutter and, and uh, make unusual noises. But the word tongue means language. Language. The gift of tongues was a supernatural gift. And again, it was a sign gift. It was a sign against the unbelief of the Jews to prove that God was working in their midst. And so I'm going to give you some passages very quickly. Our time is probably almost gone. In Acts chapter 2, verses 1-11 through 11, was the day of Pentecost. And the apostles were filled with the Holy Ghost and they began to speak in tongues. They were praising God and preaching the Word of God. But notice what happened. People begin to say, how is it that these being Galileans speak and we all hear it in our own language? The Bible says there were Jews there, from uh, devout Jews, from every nation under heaven. They'd come for the Feast of Pentecost, and they were there, and Peter began to preach. And I believe that Peter just preached in his native tongue, and everybody heard it in their own. That was the gift of tongues on that day. And so it was something that was a known tongue anyway. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 22, the Bible says, you can just turn the page and look at that. The Bible says this, Wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. So think about the logic of that. You go to a church service and everybody says there says, well, we know the Lord and we're going to worship the Lord together and they begin to speak in tongues. It's not necessary in a group of believers because it's not a sign unto them that believe, it's a sign to those that believe not. Read the rest of the verse with me. Um, verse 22, Wherefore tongues are for a sign not to them that believe, but to them that believe not, but prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. So the preaching of the word is more important than tongues. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 18, just look back there a little bit, same chapter, the Bible says this, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than ye all, yet in the church I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. So though it's a a tongue, it's an unknown tongue. It's still a language, and Paul says, I, "I I may not understand it when I say it. You'll understand it, or another language will understand it. But I'd rather speak with understanding." And so, the gift of tongues was a sign gift, a supernatural gift. And then we have the gift of interpretation of tongues. And let me see, this is the last one before we go to Romans. So we'll just we'll cut off here tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10 talks about the interpretation of tongues. Now, here's some rules that get put on tongues in the church. There's the idea that when somebody speaks in tongues, somebody should interpret. In other words, one night I had Caesar Mejia preach. Or I, pre- I guess I preached. We had a whole group of Spanish people come in. Just kind of visiting the church out of the blue. They didn't speak any English. And so I decided right at the last minute, I'm going to preach. Caesar, you come and interpret for me. And you speak in Spanish. So I just shortened my message up and and I I used an interpreter that night. And so I spoke in English and, and he spoke in Spanish and we got the gospel out. But what if I just spoke in English? It wouldn't have edified them at all. Now understand, it's an English church and they came to an English church and maybe didn't expect to hear anything in Spanish, and that's fine. But if we're going to help them, we have to speak their language. Well, the same thing, that's what God's saying about the the gift of tongues. Don't don't speak in tongues unless it edifies the whole body. So somebody needs to interpret that. And we need to have understanding. As a matter of fact, we will look at in another time, the rules... I came down to the church for speaking in tongues and you'll find that when you see these things on TV or whatever, nobody ever follows those rules. So they're not biblical. But one is one must interpret. What, what, good, what good is it if I had Caesar preaching Spanish on a Sunday night here and nobody could understand it? I'd have to get my wife to interpret and I'd be about the only one that would get it. But it doesn't do us much good. It doesn't edify the body and that's what spiritual gifts are all about edifying the body of Christ. All right, we're going to stop there for tonight. We got about six or seven more gifts out of the book of Romans that we'll look at next time. And then we'll finish it with how to discover our spiritual gifts with just a short little challenge at the end. All right, so let's have a word of prayer. And then you can break up into prayer groups tonight and pray for as long as you like. It's about five minutes to eight. Just be careful if you go out these doors in about 10 minutes, the buses will start loading up. So just watch for kids, all right? It's our first night back. So I thought I better remind everybody don't run over children that's always a good policy all right let's pray father we love you i pray that to bless the kids that are in the back tonight and over in the gym we thank you for the good crowd we pray that some might be saved i pray that you take them home safely and i pray that tonight that you dismiss us with your blessing and hear our cries as we pray we'll thank you in jesus name amen lord bless you have a good night